In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fifth Sunday of the Coptic month where we read the readings of the feeding of the multitude. And we read in John 6, verse 5, it says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we bread buy bread that these may eat? And Christ was always very mindful of the needs of the people, and that wherever he went, he looked for the needs that the people had, whether it be the physical need or the spiritual need, and he always served the people and wanted to take care of them. And from the outside, it appears that this ministry is very fruitful because he has so many people that are following after him and seeking him wherever he goes. Um, but the question is, is what was the goal of Christ feeding the multitude? What was the purpose of him feeding all of these people? Was it simply to make them happy and to feed their bodies so that they would be sustained for another day? Or was there a greater purpose and a greater mission that is maybe deeper than simply feeding their, their bodies with food? We know that Christ's mission was to deliver a message to the people that we were spiritually sick and that we are infected with this disease of sin and that he wanted to attract people him to himself, not because he was a giver of gifts, but because he was the Savior, the one who was to take away the sin of the world. However, many of the people that lived with Christ and saw him, they didn't understand this message, and they were focused very much only on the physical needs that they had and how Christ was able to fulfill those needs. Um, even after, uh, that we read about in verse 14 at the end of the Gospel today, um, even after the miracle that happened, we read in verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. They, they saw the miracle. They acknowledged that it was a miraculous thing. They, they, they recognized that this must be the prophet. This must be the Messiah. He must be the one who we've been expecting and waiting for, all because their physical needs were met. But if we follow those people, uh, and see what it, where else did they after this time actually they go and they they, they tried to, to find Christ after he leaves this place they try to find him um, and 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 they seek after him but the question is is do they seek after him because they want really the the spiritual food that he is offering them or are they seeking after him only because they wanted the physical food we read in verses 24 and 25 it says when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus and when they found him on the other side of the sea they said to him rabbi when did you come here they're seeking him right they're seeking him from the outside it looks like um, this has been a very successful thing that's happened that Christ attracted all these people and now wherever he goes they are seeking after him whenever he goes to one place from one place to another, they leave and they, they follow him. As though that all of these 5,000 men and all their families and everyone were now considered to be what? Disciples of Christ. That they are followers of Christ. That wherever, wherever Christ go, he go, they go. But actually Christ, when he saw them, he questioned their motivation. He said to them in verse 26, says, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He kind of gets to the bottom of the issue and says, you're not coming here because uh, of, of, of the spiritual food that I'm offering. You're not coming here because you believe in me, right? You're not, you're not here because you saw the signs and now that you believe that I am truly the Messiah and that you are willing to surrender your life and that you are willing to sacrifice and that you're willing to, to change and you're willing to listen and to follow me. You are coming here just because what? You ate the loaves and were filled. That from the outside, it appears like you are coming for 
a reason to follow me, but actually you are following your stomach, you are following what is your own needs. So the people sought him not to hear the truth, but maybe just to get a free lunch. And so Christ rebuked them in verse 27, and he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. He's telling the people, you are going after the wrong thing. That maybe in your life you have been programmed that there are certain things that are of high value and you seek those things like food. And of course at the time we know that it was not a simple thing to have food. And these people who are out like away from their homes, you know, even the disciples commented to Christ, how are these people going to eat? You know, this is this isn't there's there's no easy way of transportation. There's no quick way for them to move, go from here to somewhere else. So this is why Christ did this miracle and he fed them in the in the wilderness. But for them, this was a big deal, the idea that the Lord is feeding them. But Christ wanted to give them something more, right? He says, "What well, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. And so he's giving them this message is, what is your priorities? What are your motivations? Why is it that you do what you do? Are you doing it simply for maybe selfish reasons? Are you doing it simply to feed your body? Well, what about your spirit? How, what do we do to feed our spirit? Further down in the same chapter, in chapter 6, when the Lord um, tells them about the Eucharist, when he tells them that in order for them to have life, that they must eat of his body and drink of his blood, these same people, right, that followed him, we read what it says in verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So these people who were seeking after him for the physical things, Whenever Christ gave them a spiritual message that was difficult for them to swallow, difficult for them to understand, difficult for them to practice, instead they left him, right? Which really reflects what, what was the depth of their faith? What was the depth of their conviction? Were they really following Christ because they believed that he was the Savior who has the path of life? Or were they seeking him only just for what he could offer to them in the moment? Okay, So we see other examples of this as well. In the story of the paralytic man, the example of, of God seeking to give the spiritual food before the physical food. In Matthew chapter 9, it says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, this is the story of the man who was lured from the ceiling by his four friends and put in the midst uh, of Christ and asking for Christ to heal him. It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? Why did he say this? Because the first thing that Christ did when they lowered his friend down into the house is he said, your sins are forgiven. And the people called him to be blasphemous. How, who is it that can forgive sins except God alone? This was the first thing that Christ did. The first thing that Christ did when he saw this paralyzed man is he, he, he did not just heal his paralysis. He said, your sins are forgiven. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. So what does this tell us about the motivations of Christ, the priorities of Christ? That when this paralyzed man comes in, the, in his midst, the first thought that comes to the mind of Christ is not, let me heal this man from his paralysis. The first thought is, what is the greater problem? What is the deeper problem that is beyond the visible? Me, we as human beings see the physical problems easily. We can see, okay, someone is hungry, someone needs shelter, someone needs clothing, someone is paralyzed. We see these physical problems. But Christ seeing with the spiritual eyes, he sees beyond the physical. 
He sees the deeper issues that are really underlying everything else, which is the spiritual problems, which is the problem of death, which is the problem of sin. This is what this sin, the bondage of sin, is what keeps us not just paralyzed in the physical way, but paralyzed in the spiritual way that keeps us away from God for eternity. So Christ, knowing this, he says, what I will offer you the true medicine. I will offer you what you really need, even though you do not realize that you need it. And this is why these people who were chasing after Christ in order for him to feed them, this is why Christ rebuked them. He says, I am offering you the spiritual medicine. I'm giving you what you really need, but you are not even paying attention to this. All you care about is, you know, it's like maybe an example of like we take our kids to the doctor because they have a sickness and the doctor has the true remedy to heal them of some very bad sickness that they have. But the children not realizing any of this, the only reason they want to go, to the, go there is because they get a lollipop at the end. Right? They're, they're focusing on what in their mind is important, what in their mind they care about. And they don't understand anything else. They don't understand the magnitude of the real problem that's there. Right? And we, unfortunately, sometimes we do the same. The greater miracle that Christ performed here for this man was to forgive sins. And, and, and the only reason that he, he healed the man of his paralysis was to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins. That's the reason he healed him. He healed him so it would be an evidence and a proof that this man's sins actually were forgiven. So what then is the greater need, we ask? Okay, what, what, what then is the greater need? Right? We read in Luke chapter 12, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell, Yes, I say to you, fear him. Why is Christ saying this? He's not saying this so that people will be afraid of God. He's saying this because he wants people to see who is the one who really has the power. Who is the one who is actually important? We spend so much time in the fear of man. We spend so much time giving lip service to man. We, we spend so much time seeking after people whom we admire in the world and elevating and honoring those people that we admire in the world and making a big deal out of them. And we look to those people who have power and authority and we respect them for it. But what about the Lord who has a greater power and greater authority? What do we see in him? And what is our motivation for coming to him? So I'm going to speak just a little bit about what are some wrong motives for seeking God? Just like these people who came after Christ because of their, their hunger, because their desire to be fed, and Christ rebuked them for it. What is some other wrong motives that we have for seeking God? One kind of disclaimer uh, about this is a lot of times we start out with the wrong motive to do something. And it's okay to start with the wrong motive. Sometimes the wrong motives is what develops in us a habit of doing something that eventually will turn into a good motive, that eventually will turn into a right motive. Like with children, when we want to train them to, to have a good habit, we reward them with like candy, with presents, with something. If you do this, I'll give you this. If you do this, I'll give you this. And at some point though, as the children grow, we can't continue to give, uh, to give candy. Like you don't have someone who is like 30 years old and you're giving them candy so that they would do what is their responsibility to do. At that point, we expect them to be able to do it because they know that it is right. They know that it is necessary. They know that it is good. They've developed the discipline in themselves to do it without having to have an immediate reward every time, right? So maybe the person started out with the wrong motive. The only reason I'm, you know, the only reason I'm sharing my toys, the only reason I'm being respectful, the only reason I'm doing this is because I want a reward. 
right? But eventually we, we, we expect that people will learn, that our children will learn not to do it for those reasons, but to do it because it is good and right. The same is true with our spiritual motivations. The same is true with us when we are approaching God. Maybe uh, when we are spiritually immature, we are approaching God with this sense of, what is my reward? What is the thing that you will give me? Whether it be a reward because, you know, as children, our parents give us a reward when we pray or when we read the Bible or our Sunday school teachers, they give us a reward whenever we do something good or the reward that God himself gives. You know, sometimes we seek after God because we want him to give us a reward. Give me a reward for, for doing good. I have done good, you know, pay me back for the good that I have done, right? This maybe is reflecting a kind of a spiritual immaturity. What is our motivation for seeking God? One wrong motivation for seeking God is for social reasons. You know, when we come to the church and we see other people that we know, and we have people that we are friends with, or our family is also going to church, maybe this is a reason why we come to church, you know? And we come simply because it's a, it's a social scene. It's a, it's a social scene where I can meet and interact with other people. For me, God is just a means to an end. Just like for those people in the miracle that we spoke about today, Christ was a means to an end. He was the means to be fed. So I will follow him wherever he goes because I will get free food everywhere that I go. He is a means to an end. Maybe for me, the means to the end, what, is, is, is I will come to church because what, I want social life. I want to interact with people. I want to socialize with people, right? I'm coming for that purpose. This is a wrong motive. Maybe for all of us, this is part of the reason that we enjoy coming to church is because we will see other friends and people that we know, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But is that my motivation? Is that the reason that I go? Oftentimes, whenever we have conventions and things, of course, it's been now like a year, we haven't had any conventions. But back when we used to have conventions for the youth, the, the number one question that the youth would ask whenever it's time to register is, who else is going? Are my friends going or not? If my friends are going, I will go. If my friends are not going, I don't want to go, right? Because my real reason for going is not because I want to learn or because I want to benefit at this place. It's maybe more just I want to have fun. Another wrong motivation for seeking God is uh, out of fear. Maybe I see God simply as someone to be feared. And I'm afraid because he has the power to cast me into hell like we read before. And I'm just afraid of him. And I do what I'm supposed to do simply because I'm afraid of what will happen to me if I do not do, right? But we read in 1 John chapter 4, he says what? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You can also see an analogy here to the way that maybe uh, certain parenting styles, right? There's some parents that their parenting style for their kids is they want to invoke fear in them. If you don't do what I say, then I'm going to make you afraid of what I'm going to do to you if you don't listen. And so children will follow and listen out of fear, not because they love the parents, not because they respect the parents, but simply because they're afraid of what might happen to them if they don't do what the parents say, right? This is, again, a wrong motivation for obedience. Do we believe that that we are so afraid of what might happen if we don't obey God, that this is our reasoning, why we obey Him. This is the reason why we do what we do. Another wrong motivation for seeking God is self-justification. I come to the church and I come to God because I believe that I am already righteous and I come here to demonstrate my righteousness so that everyone can see. That I can be kind of, uh, like, like confirm my righteousness. That's why I come. I come because if I didn't come, what would people say? 
What would people say if I didn't come to the church? Why didn't you come to church today? Oh, you know, the reason I come is because I'm confirming in my own self that I am righteous and so that other people can see. This is what the Pharisees did. This is the problem with the Pharisees. They were not actually wanting to seek God. They didn't want to actually obey God. All they cared about is to be seen by the people that they were righteous, which is why when they would fast, they would fast in a way so that everybody knew that they were fasting. When they would pray, they would go on a street corner and pray in public so that everyone would know that they are praying. And they would care about this because this brought them honor and respect from the people. And so their motivation was, has nothing to do with actually obeying God, but simply to receive something for themselves. In Proverbs 2.12, it says, every, man, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the hearts, right? Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. When we come to God, when we come to the church, what is maybe a sign of this self-justification attitude? When I come to the church, am I willing to listen and to accept the fact that maybe a certain lifestyle that I'm leading is not right? That maybe a certain practices that I do are not right? That I am actually weak? That I have deficiencies that I need to work on? Or do I come simply wanting to declare that my life is already perfect as it is? Part of coming to the church when we call the church to be a hospital is that we are coming for treatment. We are coming for correction. We are coming because there's something wrong and we want that wrong thing to be repaired, to be fixed. So if I truly am coming as a patient, as a sick person to the hospital, and I recognize this and I admit this, that when I come to the church and when I come to God, I come with a mind that is willing to accept my own failings, my own failures, not one that is seeking to justify myself or make excuses or blame others, but simply because I want to, I want to, to or I agree, I agree with God that what he says about me is true, and I want to, um, I, 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 I want to be healed. The last point I'm going to mention of wrong motivations for seeking God is help in emergencies only. Only help in emergencies. You know, we are always encouraged to cry out to God when we're in trouble. We see God as help in trouble, right? In Psalm 46, verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, right? We know this about the Lord, and we know that we can go to Him for comfort. We can go to Him for help when we are in need of help. The question is, is this the only time we ever go to him? An emergency. Whenever something happens that I recognize is beyond my power, beyond my ability, this is the only time I will come to church. This is the only time I will pray. This is the only time I will go speak to my priest. This will be the only time that I ever do anything spiritual is because I feel like now I am in need of the power of God in my life because it is beyond my control, whatever is happening to me. Sometimes this is the only time that I will turn to him. The only time. And this reflects also a, a wrong motivation. Who, who is God to me? Is he someone whom I will give up my life for, whom I will sacrifice for, that I recognize his love for me and I'm willing to serve him all of the time? Or am I coming to him because I want him to serve me whenever I need him? That whenever it is time for him to come to me, to, whenever it is time that I need him in my life, I ask him and now he's going to come. And like, like a Santa Claus mentality, whatever it is that I want, he will give. This is another wrong motivation for me to seek God. So in conclusion, we can ask ourselves, do we seek the physical more than the spiritual? Do we seek the physical things? Do we seek the blessings of God? Do we seek the other motivations or reasons why I might do spiritual activities versus the real reason, which is wanting to grow and be united with the, with the Lord? What do we focus on in our prayers when we pray? Are we always focusing on the physical things? 
are we always focusing on the health and the money and the relationships and, 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 and the things that we pray for? Is that the only content of our prayers when we ask God for things? Or are we asking God for forgiveness? Are we asking God for mercy? As we, are we asking God for virtue? Are we asking God to fill us with his peace? Are we asking to be righteous in his eyes? Are we seeking to be pleasing to the Lord? Or are we seeking only what the Lord can give? What will make us ultimately joyful? What is the thing that, we'll, that we are looking for for joy in our lives? Is it just the physical things? That I ask God, God, make my bank account to be overflowing, and then I will be happy. This is what I want from God. God, solve all of my problems, and then I will be happy, and this is what I want from God. Or are we seeking really the, the spiritual life, this, the, the spiritual depth? And that spiritual depth doesn't come for free. That spiritual depth requires labor, and it requires effort, and it requires attention. It requires repentance. It requires self-examination. It requires like spiritual work and spiritual activities in prayer and, and sacraments and other things. What is it that I'm seeking Christ for? Are we seeking Christ like these people who sought after him after he fed them with the five loaves and the two fish and that Christ rebuked saying, you only came after me for the food that I offered you? Or are we seeking after him truly for salvation and a desire to be pleasing to him? This is a question we ask ourselves. So may God grant us a right attitude and a right motivation for seeking him. And glory be to God forever. Amen.